Thank you, Dave. Uh, This morning, it's our privilege to have with us Tim Hunter. Tim is the head of Keys to Living, um, a counseling service and ministry um, here in our community. Incredible resource. If you or someone you know is ever in need of counseling, uh, they counsel from a distinctively Christian viewpoint and uh, accomplish many things. Pastor Matt, our lead pastor, who's on sabbatical right now, meets on a regular basis with Tim in a mentoring kind of relationship. And Tim certainly has worked me through a very challenging time in my life, too, meeting with me and just processing and uh, giving me a path forward in the Lord. So I, I know that we're in for a blessing this morning. Tim, welcome to Cornerstone. Lord blesses you open the word to us. God bless you. Well, good morning. I've uh, heard good things about you guys, uh, matter of fact, from your pastor, and that's not a bad reference point. Uh, he said that you're very warm people and uh, very kind people. That's been my experience so far being here. There have been a number of people who have come up and uh, welcomed me, and that's a sign of health in a church. That's a sign of God in a church, and uh, that's really what I want to talk to you about today is God. That's kind of a central issue, I think, in our, not only our faith, in our everyday life. Um, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful day outside. The sun is shining. Um, it's Father's Day, and congratulations to all of you. I'm a father. I have three, three daughters, three beautiful daughters, and uh, there's only one thing that could be better than Father's Day, and it's probably like Mother's Day, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's a possibility. But um, welcome, I, I just want to welcome you um, to God here today, because that's really what we're about is to come to know our Father. And I didn't really uh, theme this message uh, as a Father's Day message. Matter of fact, when uh, uh, Matt had asked me to do this, it was some months ago, and he gave me a couple dates, and I thought, oh, I'll just do this one. And it turned out to be Father's Day. I might not have come today if I would have known that, but uh, it's good to be with you on Father's Day. Uh, My wife's not feeling well. She would have been here with us today, but uh, we'll see how she is this afternoon, and maybe we can still pull it off, if not next weekend. Well, um, as Gary said, uh, I, I do therapy, do counseling, and I've been doing that for 35 years. That's a long time. I know I don't look that old, you know, but, uh, but I've been doing it for 35 years. And uh, over that time, I've probably seen 25, 30,000 hours of sitting down with you and you and you, looking into your eyes and seeing what God's going to do. And that's a, a distinct privilege to enter into somebody's life at the very point of their need. And they tell you things that they have told no one else. A lot of times they'll sit on my couch and, and I can tell they're struggling because they're about to tell me something that they've told no one else in their whole lives. And that's an honor. But there's a burden with that. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And I think... A couple of things that I've learned beyond anything else is that not only do they need God in that moment, but they need more than me in that moment. That they need somebody who is walking with God, who trusts in God. So that it's not just the two of us in that room, but that as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, God, I'm not sure what to do right now. I'm not sure where to go. I think we're both stuck. And I need you to help me to speak something, to think something, to pull up something that's going to bless that person because they're yours. 
And, you know, I've, I've learned to trust God through my work. I've learned to trust God for that. And that's taken a while. That didn't happen just out of grad school. That didn't happen in grad school, that's for sure. Although I learned other things about God in grad school. But learning to trust God for someone else, learning to trust God for your life is a huge, it's a core thing. You know, and I I think, you know, we can all attend church. We can all read our Bibles every day, read our Bibles once through the year. We can all pray every day. We can check all those boxes. And those are good boxes. But we can do all of those and not really trust God. We can do all those things and not really know Him. And that's not what this is about. This isn't about only coming to church. Come to church. This isn't only about reading his word. Read his word. And it certainly isn't only about praying. Because when you pray, when you pray, you're not just throwing words out there. You're not just kind of like putting a quarter into a gumball machine and turning the crank and expecting a gumball. Well, that's not what this is about. It's not a machine that you're praying to. You're praying to someone to your father and you're asking him to help you because you don't got it. You don't got what it takes. You know, we're, we're in the thick of it. And need I tell you the world we're in is quite a world. I mean, just more evidence of just how broken things are. And I, I'm not about to get into the headlines and the economy and all that stuff. So you guys know well all about that and you're feeling it. But, you know, the other thing that I've learned in in counseling is that the people, no matter what they come in with, and I I see people, you know, I've worked with people who uh, have lived out of abandoned cars underneath interstate bypasses in boxes downtown. You know, I've worked with people who are worth well over a couple hundred million dollars, the whole spectrum, but they're on my couch. All of them, the whole spectrum. And that's because money doesn't do it for you. Lack of money doesn't do it for you. What does it for you? And the people that, when I assess them, the people that I have a good prognosis for, I think they're going to do well. I think they're going to make progress. I think they're going to recover or work through something. The one thing I'm looking for out of anything else is where are you with God? Do you trust him? Are you, are you with him? Is he with you? Are you walking with God? And if I can find that out, you know, what I, what I call that is I have to locate that person. I have to find out where they're really at. Well, you know, um, when, when God uh, was walking in the cool of the day in the garden, and um, there were only two beings on the earth at that time. One was Adam, and the other was God. Now, there must have been something going on there between the two of them. I think there was probably quite a bit. The Bible doesn't really get into that, but there was probably quite a bit going on between Adam and God. Well, at some point, Adam did what Adam did, Adam and Eve, and they fell. 
Now, Adam made two mistakes. And one is the obvious one. He disobeyed God. He separated himself from God, which is not what you really want to do. But the other thing that happened was Adam's response to that. And so God was there, and God asked his first question of Adam, where are you, Adam? Now, you've got to believe that the, the being that spoke a few words in a universe came into being, the one who created Adam, probably wasn't asking a geographical question. I mean, come on, help me out here, Adam. I'm not seeing you. Uh, he was asking, where is your heart? But not just where is your heart. Where is your heart in proximity to me? Because your proximity, your closeness or your distance to God is the measure of your life. There's nothing, nothing more important than that. That will determine the prognosis of your life. Because we live in a broken world, and it is above your pay grade. And you are not equal to this world right now, right now, in this moment. You are not equal to this world. You're not capable of dealing with this. Now, I've learned that I can do fairly well at brushing my teeth. But if you get beyond that, I get a little shaky. There are things we certainly can do in life, and God expects us to do brush our teeth. But there is a lot of stuff and a lot of important stuff that we really need his help with. And so the, the issue, the, the big question really is, do you trust? Because that's kind of a proximity question. You know, you know trust... You know, one kind of definition of trust is kind of to be glued. You know, when you trust somebody, it's like you're kind of bonded toward that person. You know, there's a, a, a unifying thing in that trust. You know, I, I trust them to do something for me that I can't do for myself. I've trusted you for that. And you know, there, there is something in counseling called bonding, called attachment. And there's a YouTube video, I, I don't have the address for you here, but it, it, they did a little psychological experiment, actually. And they do a lot of those. Some are really weird. But this was kind of interesting, I thought. But um, there's a mother, and it's on bonding. And it's a real graphic illustration. There's this mother with this little infant, I mean, little baby. And, and she was, I think the baby was sitting before her. She was holding the baby, but they were having eye contact. And the mother would go, blah, 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 and the baby would go, la, 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 la. And, and, but every time the baby smiled, the mother would smile. And every time the baby would be surprised, the mother would be surprised. And there was this responsive little chemistry thing going on between that mother and that baby. There was just this thing, you know, it was intangible, but it was almost tangible. Well, part of the experiment was to see what would happen when the mother turned away. And the baby was looking at the mom, but the mom turned away. Now, that might sound a little cruel, but she didn't do it for real long, but she did for long enough for the baby to start to move around and, and make, wasn't 
little bubbling sounds, like concern sounds, and getting distressed. And there was this lack of responsiveness going on. And the baby couldn't figure it out, but the baby knew on some level, even though a baby can't think too many thoughts at that point, there was something was missing between that baby and that mother. There was no responsiveness. Now, see, I, I think <clears throat> that's, a, that's a real lesson for us because, you know, I, I think part of the obstacle in, you know, us trusting God is that we pray earnestly and out of need and nothing happens. I think everybody in this room has probably had that happen. Now, you know, in in counseling, that stay with me because I'm going to weave in something here. But in counseling, you know, um, I, I I see in in marriages or even in families that when you know a, a child is cared for and feels secure and is growing up in a secure family, there there is trust and there is connectedness and they're joined together and my needs are being met. I don't have to really fear that they won't be met. I'm, I'm being cared for. But, you know, sometimes that child grows up and maybe they're in a marriage or a relationship and they, they get married because they feel like they're going to be cared for, but afterwards the events of life happen and stuff goes on and, you know, that attention and responsiveness begins to fade a bit, just sometimes just out of reality. You know, we have kids and this world happens and it, all that. And, and I'm not feeling so cared for. And so what happens in this is that, you know, we were like this, and now I, I'm get, beginning to pull back because I feel like I have to take care of me because I'm not feeling cared for by you. And there may not be two bad guys here at all or one bad guy. There, it's just life sometimes. But, but the point is that I begin to pull back and I begin to take care of myself. And I begin to be independent from you. I begin to be self-reliant. I begin to take care of me because I don't trust you to care for me. Now, see, that is, I think, what happens with God. If I don't feel cared for by you, you're not answering my prayers, then I begin to pull back from you. And I'm on my own. Now, that's not a good place to be because man, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for woman to be alone. It's not good for us. We weren't designed to be alone. We we're designed to be with him. That's not a good place to be. Now, you know, I think a couple of reasons for when we pray why God doesn't respond. First of all, he isn't a gumball machine. It isn't like we put the quarter in, we put the prayer out there and then we turn the crank and God gives us what we ask for. I mean, I put the quarter in for a gumball. I need to get a gumball. I put the prayer out there to you, and you said you answer prayer. And I turned the crank. I mean, I, I was earnest with this thing. And you didn't do anything. Nothing changed. I pull back. I lose a little bit of trust, maybe a lot of trust, depending on the situation. So, a couple of things go into that 
for God. One is that I think oftentimes we're looking for kind of a miracle. Now, I'd be the first one to say, because I've seen them happen in clients' lives in my own life, something happens that just, there is no way. I mean, you just know it. There is just no way for that to happen. And, and sometimes God even just, I think in his humor, in small things even, you know, it's just like, how the heck did that turn out that way? I mean, that just should never have happened. I, I, it's a head scratcher for me. And it can be in a little way, but God just wants to like tweak you a little bit. Like, I'm, I'm here. I, I know your name. I haven't forgotten about you. Well, so we're looking for a miracle. But there's something else. And, and this is the way I see God working more often than not. He works through a process. We're here, and over time, through events and through God's gradual interaction, something is going on. And so finally, in the end, whew, we got there. But it doesn't happen quick. And what I call that is a slow motion miracle. Because what you get in the end is what you're praying for. It just doesn't happen when you turn the crank. It's a slow motion miracle. Now, you know, Joseph in the dungeon, like 14 years. I mean, you know, Moses in the wilderness, 40 years. Uh, you know, Paul was out there for a long time before he started his ministry. There are all kinds of examples in the Bible of process. Now, see, miracles are good things, and we would prefer those, but there's something that happens through the process that is growthful. It's character building. It's that we, you know, count it all joy when you encounter diverse trials and tribulations. Well, that's always been a head-scratcher, right? Because the trying of your faith works perseverance. Patience isn't the best word there. Perseverance. Well, it's a relational term. It means over and over and over and over again, I have to come back to God and seek Him and turn to Him and grow in my dependence in Him. And I grow in relationship with Him. You know, when, when Joseph came out of that dungeon, he should have been a, a broken, messed up guy who needed medication and going to therapy the rest of his life. I mean, he's in a dungeon for 14 years. You know, he was sold by his family, abandoned. I mean, trauma and abandonment and all this stuff. Well, he came out a sane, whole man, ready, ready to move right into second position in the nation and wield that power. Now, he learned something through the dungeon, the process. So, Miracle versus process. We're usually looking for a miracle when it doesn't happen. Something happens. We pull back. So that's one thing. The other thing is, I think we, we really, and this kind of is an overlapping concept, but we, we pray that God would change the circumstance. Like my boss just is driving me crazy. Just please change him or get rid of him. Send him, get him fired, you know, do whatever. You know, uh, my wife or my husband or my kids or, you know, circumstances. I don't have enough money or this or that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Please take care of that. Nothing happens. What's that about? Well, I think it's a similar thing. 
to think that Joseph did not pray, God, get me out of here. Deal with the dungeon. Get me out of here. You know he did, and God didn't. And so what's going on there is God says, no, I'm not going to change your circumstance. I have other thoughts about being able to wield this as a tool. Now, that never is fun. Count it all joy? Eh, not so sure. You know, I, want, I just want out of here. But, you know, I think what God is really saying is, no, I won't change the circumstance, but I will change you. And if you stick with me, and if you keep coming back and keep coming back and keep trying to trust and working at it, we don't trust perfectly. We never will. We're not Jesus on this earth. But if we keep working at it and keep coming to him, eventually there'll be daylight from the dungeon. Eventually the process will come to an end. Eventually the slow motion miracle will happen. And we will find the answer to our prayer and probably better, different, more than we could have thought. Joseph prayed to get out of the dungeon. He didn't know. That's what was going to happen to him. We don't know. And we, we best leave that in the hands of the one who spoke a few words and a universe is created. Now, this isn't, what I've said to you so far isn't hardly at all what I plan to talk about here today. And I'm not going to extend my sermon because of that. But sometimes God just knows better. And... Um, you know, I, what I want to talk to you about is life with God and life without God. You know, we've got the vine and we've got the branch. There's a huge difference between being a part of that vine and being connected to that. You know, we talk a lot about fruit is born when you're connected to the vine. You know, life without God is empty. We all have needs. Every single one. We are built to have needs because, you know, when we're separated from the vine, we hunger and thirst. We lack. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is right now. Not the Lord will be or was. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack for any good thing. Well, that sounds nice, but it doesn't seem to reflect my reality. Now, I think we, we, when we talk about, you know, we pray then later in that prayer, well, let me go back for a second. You know, after that, he said, he leads me beside still waters. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, a sheep that is lying down in a green pasture, a green pasture, a sheep will not lie down in a green pasture unless it's well-fed. Leads me beside still waters. Sheep are jittery animals, and if it's a babbling brook or a rushing stream, they're too jittery. They will not drink out of that. 
The only time that they will drink is by a still place, a lake or a pool or something like that. He leads me beside still waters. He couldn't lead sheep if they were thirsty. They would want to drink. What he's talking about there is the Lord is my shepherd. He feeds me. He nourishes me. He takes care of me. But see, I, I think a lot of times we think, okay, food, clothing, shelter, car, money, material stuff, because that's you know what we think about. We're we're amphibious creatures. We we exist in two worlds. You know, my my daughter, we have a pond in the back of her yard. She gets frogs all the time. Well, they're land and pond. Well, we live in two worlds. We live in a material world, and we, we kind of know that. But we don't live enough in that other world that really is our primary place, the, the world where our spirit connects to. And so we, you know, we're, we're praying and thinking, okay, material needs. What he's really talking about is, I will give to you what you don't got for your spirit. Now, what is food for your spirit? What is food for your spirit? What nourishes you on the inside? Well, we go back to the vine and the branch. You know, if I'm connected, there's something called fruit. It's fruit of the vine, fruit of the spirit, fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, and a bunch of other good things, but love, joy, peace. Think about your life. No matter how much money you got in the bank, no matter what you got or don't got, whatever your needs are. And I've seen this. If you have peace, you're okay. If you're loved and you know it, you're okay. If you have joy, and joy isn't just like, hey, I'm so happy today. Joy is a, a, a deep sense of well-being. I'm okay. I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled. Now see, if you've got those things for your spirit, the Lord is my shepherd. He'll give me those things. Those are more important than the answer to your prayer for more money, although I, I got you. I mean, we have real needs in this world that are not just spiritual or material, and we, we need God's help with those. But what we need even more, though, is if I don't have enough money, if I've got peace because I'm trusting in him, I'll be all right. I'll be okay. That's fruit of the Spirit, but that only comes from connection, and it's not fruit of Tim. It's not fruit of you. It isn't like you can work that up. It isn't like you can find peace. What we do to try to find those things, and those are primary things, you know, to, to, to be loved and accepted and belong and be taken care of, that's huge. To find peace, so we manage people, and we manage circumstance to try to get at that. We, we have to go our own way, and we have to find those one way or another. Well, they're to be found in the vine. So let me wind it down. I know it's Father's Day, so I'm going to bring this thing in for a landing pretty quick here. Um, you know, I think part, part of the deal is, you know, I, I was 34 before I got married, ancient of days. And uh, I just didn't find the right one, and I found the right one. This is on tape, right? So, honey. <laughs> so, uh, but um, so 
by 34, you kind of get a way of life going. You've been living on your own for a while. You've been making your own decisions. You get up when you want. You go to bed when you want. You kind of buy what you want. You spend your money. You don't have to check in with somebody else. And, uh, you know, but then I got married. Well, it's kind of what I call married yet single. Because you are officially married. You got the title. You walk down the aisle. You have a wife now or a husband. But you're still in the mindset of being single. And you're still kind of fending for yourself and kind of doing your thing and kind of getting in trouble <laughs> because of that. Because <laughs> that won't work in a marriage. Well, I think with God, we, we have not developed the mindset of a branch. We've not really got to a place where we understand we were designed to be dependent. Independence is an American value. Self-sufficiency is an American value. You know, that frontier mentality of, you know, going it alone and carving out your own place and all that stuff. That's an American mentality. And, you know, there's, there's some good in that. But God designed us in our relationship. Independence is separation. When I get off on my own, I'm a branch without a vine. And when I'm a branch without a vine, bad things just happen. When I'm without him, it's a different life than when I'm with him. Now, I want to give you one last little example, and then we'll get you out of here, right? So, um, the loaves and the fishes, the feeding of the 5,000. I want to just talk about that a little bit, and we'll close her up after that. So stay with me. If I see anybody falling asleep here, mm, look out. <laughs> so, um, all right, so feeding of the 5,000, uh, there, there are four different, it's in every gospel. So Jesus, God, wanted us to learn something from that. He put it there for a reason. So 5,000 people, but there were men, but there were women and children. So there were probably fifteen to 20,000 people there. And one of the accounts says they'd been there for three days. And most of these people just rushed out when they heard Jesus was coming. They didn't bring any food. And there were kids there. And there were people there, three days. And finally, on the third day, disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, these people are hungry. And Jesus said the kind of a classic, iconic Jesus thing, you feed them. And they looked at Jesus like, okay, um, you've been preaching three days. We think you're a little tired here, so just stay with me. They've been here for three days, Jesus. We don't got money. We need to send them away. We need to send them away. Well, okay, that was their solution. Left to themselves, their best shot at this thing was, we don't have resources, lack. They don't have food, lack. We, our best shot at this, Jesus, is just get them out of here. You know, let them fend for themselves. Let them find some food. This isn't going to work. You feed them. And so they found some little boy who had the foresight to bring some food. And maybe he said, hey, I want to go see Jesus. His mom gave him a sack of lunch, and he kind of was rationing it out or something. But he had a few loaves and fish. And I don't even know why they brought the loaves and the fish to Jesus, because we're talking fifteen to 20,000 people. Why would you even bother with that? 
But for some reason, somebody may have thought maybe Jesus could do something with it. I don't really know. It doesn't say. But so they brought what they had. They brought him something. They brought him all. And you got to pay attention here because this whole time, three days, Jesus was aware of this need the whole time. I mean, after a day of me not eating, I'm ready for something, right? I mean, people are starting to get hungry. People are hungering and thirsting for something they don't have. And so Jesus said, bring them to me. And when they gave Jesus all that they had, which was not nearly, it was like a drop in the bucket. And so what he's really saying there is, when they brought him their obvious inadequacy, it's all I got, it's the best I've got, and I know it's not enough. When they brought him that, he did the God thing. Now see, God's not looking for us to do good things, because any of us unbelievers can do good things. God's looking for us to do God thing. Now, listen to me. That doesn't mean that you have the ability to do a God thing without God. But with God, working with him, God with us, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Even though I walk through stuff in my life. I will have peace. I'll be okay because you're with me. And so they brought the inadequacy to Jesus and Jesus took it and Jesus did the God thing. He, he turned to God. He didn't do it. it. He turned to God and he modeled for us. He turned to God and God did the heavy lifting thing. But the cool thing was that when Jesus began to do his thing and multiply, what he did was he began to pass it out to the disciples to do what he told them to do. They didn't have the means to do it without Jesus. But with Jesus, they did what he said. They could do what he said. And they helped feed the multitude. And the lack, just think of the difference with God or without God, in that, just in that little story. Without God, we have people with kids crying, hungry for three days, lack all over the place. Needs that were not being met, genuine needs. And you know what? Jesus didn't do a thing until somebody gave him what they had. And so without him, send him away hungry. They'd find some place to go. They didn't witness any God thing at all. They didn't get any closer to God. They, they didn't see what could really happen when somebody turns to God. All they saw was lack. The leaders had lack. The people had lack. There was emptiness and hunger. Enter Jesus. You put Jesus into the equation. You know, if a common little line I use with people that I see is, you know, if you're in a circumstance 
and the circumstance is bigger than you, you're sunk. But if you include Jesus into the equation, God with us, if it's me and God in the circumstance, there's a different outcome. And you see what he did. The very need, the essence of the need, he met with more left over that they had to pick up. They were full and satisfied, but not just in their bellies. They had witnessed God being with us. So I, I want to close on that. Just one little quote. Well, let me give you two quotes. These will be very short. I'm keeping my promise. Okay. You know, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said something that I've always really liked. He said, if I find in myself desires that nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for a different world. Jesus brought that world to us. Jesus brought us to God. And then the last one I want to share with you is Augustine in, in his book called The Confessions. This is a, a beautiful statement that has always touched me and I, I really like it. But he said, you have made me for yourself. See, a vine and a branch. I'm, it's my identity. I'm designed for you. I'm designed for dependence on you. It's me and you. And it's not, it's not two different units here. I'm part of a whole. I'm not the whole. I'm not the vine. I'm not God but I'm part of you. He said, you have made me for yourself and my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. So let me just close with that. But I think on this Father's Day, celebrate these guys out here. But I think for all of us, we can celebrate our Father. Our Father who art in heaven. Because that how do we pray, Jesus? I'm not, I'm not going to go on one last thing. But how do we pray, Jesus? Teach us how to pray. And he said, here's how you pray. Our Father were the first two words that came out of his mouth. That orients the whole rest of that prayer. Everything else that was said in that comes out of the relationship that you have with him. And he's either your father or he's something else. And Jesus said, no, he's, he's not. He's like a vine, but he's not the vine. He's like a shepherd, but he's not the shepherd. But he is your father. Let's just close the prayer. Father, we, um, <clears throat> we thank you that you have um, given us a relationship and Lord, you, out of your Father's heart, you knew exactly, precisely what our need was, what our need is. We needed a Savior. We needed somebody to help us on a heart level that we couldn't change in ourselves. And, and you, you were willing and happy to pay the price. And it was a huge price. But you came. You paid the price. And, and you provided the great reconciliation after Adam had the great separation. You came for us. And you are for us and not against us. You are always for us. 
We don't always get it, Father. We don't always understand. We're really limited in our understanding. But I just pray that you would give us your mercy and your grace to be able to walk with you even if we don't understand. That you'd uphold us and uplift us and for all of these good people and myself. That, Lord, this, the days to come would be days when we grow in you and learn from you and particularly learn to have a very personal relationship with you. So we thank you, Father, for what you've done who you are, and what you're about to do in our lives. Bless these good people today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.